can slip out the back for Children's Church, and Rush, you can be open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, we got done with the song service really early today, so either I get to speak really long, or you get to go to lunch early, or one of the two, we'll figure it out, but uh, I appreciate all the songs about the blood of Jesus Christ today, I, I think how well that ties into our message, because as we're, as we're diving back into this section on Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to get into verse uh, chapter 3 a little today, what we're really talking about, we're, we're talking about Paul and, and dealing with Jew and Gentile, but, but those things come together at the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross of Calvary. And that's where we really see that coming together. And so we want to look at that a little bit today. But we're in the middle of chapter 2, and uh, we're going to start with uh, the first point today is peace for the lost, down in verse 17. And we left off on verse 16 last week. And uh, verse 16 said, And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And then we come into verse 17, and it says this. It says, And came and preached peace to, the, to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, in verse 17 here, we see he talks about those that were far off, and those that were not. And those were references to the Gentiles and the Jews. The Gentiles were considered far off, and the Jews were considered nigh unto God as his chosen people. But regardless of the fact, whether they were far off or whether they were nigh close by, both had the same problem. And the problem is, without Christ, they're lost. They're lost. And, you know, it's the same case today. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your nationality. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter where you live in town. It doesn't matter what job you have. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how big or small your family is. It doesn't matter if you have a powerful job or a non-powerful job. We are all in the same state apart from Jesus Christ. We are all lost. And that's, and, and that's what, what Paul is trying to emphasize here in this passage. He's trying to help his readers understand that they need a Savior. And the Savior is what makes the difference. And so, and so for Paul, he's, again, he, you know, you remember, he's, he's in prison because the Jews didn't like what he was preaching about. And there was an uproar stirred up. And Brother Brett and I had a discussion uh, after church last week as to whether Paul really did bring a Gentile into that, beyond that wall, that court, or was it supposed that he did? And I didn't have time to study it out completely this last week, but, but there is a case to be made that, that this was what the Jews supposed that he did. He really didn't do that. We don't know. But the fact of the matter is we do know that this stirred up the Jews, which stirred up <laughs> those in authority and ended up, Paul ended up, in prison at this time because of it. And, and so even though Paul's in prison because of the fact that the Jews didn't like his teaching about the Gentiles, uh, he's, he's still teaching it. And he's basically saying, listen, it doesn't matter if you're close by or far off, apart from Jesus Christ, you're lost. You know, it's kind of similar to the story of the prodigal son. You know, we often look at the story of the prodigal son and the, and the whole focus on that story is the prodigal son. Right? That's where hundreds and hundreds of sermons have been preached about the prodigal son. But when you go to that passage in the scripture, it starts out about a man had two sons. It's not just about the prodigal son, because the son that stayed home had issues as well. 
Now, the prodigal's issues may have been more flamboyant and more in your face. You know, I'm taking my, my, my money and I'm leaving this place. You know, I was pretty rebellious in, in nature and stuff. It was more in your face. But both sons had issues and both sons needed to come to the father. And, and, and so we get that picture, but we spend so much time dwelling on the story of the prodigal son that we, sometimes we forget the issues that the other son had too because his were more internalized. His issues were more kind of under the radar, so to speak. But we have to understand the story is about both Romans chapter 3. We, we know this passage well in Romans 3 and starting in verse 22. Now we all could probably quote uh, verse 23, but Romans 3, starting verse 22, it says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, and upon all them that believe. Again, another verse that clearly teaches us the fact that salvation is available to all mankind. Twice in that verse we read the word all. That the righteousness of God is available to all that believe, for there is no difference. And then he says this. Why? What is he talking about? There is no difference. He's saying there's no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, folks, the gospel puts all of us on the same playing field. It really does. Because we understand that we are sinners and we deserve to spend eternity in hell. I don't care how good a person you are. You are, your righteousness, the scriptures teach us, are as filthy rags. We don't deserve heaven. That's why God's grace is unmerited favor. It's something we don't deserve. I can't stake my claim and say, I, de I deserve to go to heaven, God. I've done the right things, God. You've got to let me in, God. No, it's not about me. It's not about what I've done. It's, it's because of what he's done. And so we have to understand that, that that's, that's what the gospel is. Phillips, in his commentary, says this. He says, the gospel reduces all people to the same level. The gospel teaches that all people who do not trust in Christ are equally lost. And that is the case, folks. And that was the case of what Paul is dealing with in this passage when, when he says that he came and, and preached peace to you that were afar off and to them that were not. And then verse 18 is just a phenomenal, phenomenal verse. It's so short, but there's so much there when you think about it for just a second. It says, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, right away, before we even get into the verse and how it pertains to this passage that we're dealing with, we note in this verse that we see the entire Trinity used in this verse. We see Jesus Christ, the Son, we see the Spirit, and we see the Father all working together. And that's a beautiful picture. You know, some people would question whether, whether the Trinity really exists or not. But here's another classic verse that we see all three characters at the same time and in the same verse. And it says, for through him, for through him, both, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. We have access, folks. And, and, and the word access there is, it's a beautiful word. It means intimate interaction. It's face-to-face -face access. That's what we have. Through Jesus Christ, we have intimate interaction. Basically, what it's saying is we have an audience with God. We have an audience with God. You know, folks, I am very thankful that I don't have to go somewhere today and go speak to some other human that's got as many sin problems as I got 
and confess my sins to him so that he can take my sins before the Father. I'm glad I don't have to do that today. Now, there's people all over the country that are doing that today because, because they don't understand that we have access to God through Jesus Christ. And we want to look at that for just a minute. That word access appears three times only in the scripture. This time right here and two other places. And, and I have found over the years of studying that when, when a word only appears a couple places, it, it's a unique word. And so I should really check out why, why does it only appear a couple places? You know, why does it appear, you know, 300 places? Why only a couple other places? So let's look at the other places it appears. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2. Notice what it says. It says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting. Paul's talking about peace with God in this passage. And now we read in Romans chapter 5, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also we have what? There's the word. Access. Access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Okay, so now two times we've seen this word access. Both times refer to the, to the intimate relationship we have both times through Jesus Christ. That's how that intimate relationship comes. Then let's turn over to another verse um, in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 to 12. Now, we're, we're jumping a little ahead here, but let's just read these verses today. It says, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that you may know, that you may now unto the, that now, excuse me, unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whom we have boldness and what? Access with confidence by the faith of him. So three times in the scriptures, this word access is used, and every single time it is pointed to Jesus Christ is the pathway by which we gain access to the Father. What is that telling us, folks? Well, it's telling us that what Jesus said was true. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. How? But by me. See, that access that we have comes through Jesus Christ. Now, let's turn back over to Hebrews. Of course, we've studied through Hebrews, but let's turn back over to Hebrews just for a moment. Hebrews chapter 10. Now, let's read a little bit of a lengthy passage out of Hebrews chapter 10 here, starting in verse 11. It says, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. And I love the picture of those two verses because immediately your mind can go to a picture of a priest day in, day out, day in, day out, offering sacrifices for sins, and it doesn't do any good. It doesn't take the sin away. It's just a picture of what's to come in Jesus Christ. But then Jesus Christ comes on the scene in verse 12, and he offered one sacrifice for sin, and because it was complete, he sat down 
at the right hand of God the Father. Notice what it says. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts, and their, in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without favoring, wavering, for he is faithful that promised. What a beautiful picture of what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians. He's saying, listen, we have this access to God because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and that access comes through Christ. And then we go to this passage in Hebrews, and this entire passage reinforces the fact that Jesus Christ is our access to the Father. And then we can go back, we can turn back to Mark, Mark uh, 15. Mark 15, and starting in verse 37, notice what it says. It says, And Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus, excuse me, cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he had so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. What happened, folks, when Jesus, when Jesus fulfilled God's redemptive plan on the cross of Calvary, the veil that separated man from God was rent in two from top to bottom so that we have what? Access to God. Glory. I mean, praise the Lord. What an exciting thought. We have access to God, Jew and Gentile alike. And that was, that was Paul's premise here. He was saying all that are lost can have peace. All of you can have peace. Why? Because we have access to God the same way through the blood of Jesus Christ. That takes us to point number two, reconciliation for the lost. Notice what he says in continuing uh, this idea in verse 19. It says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Now that's a great, let's just stop there for a second. There is this huge change that takes place. Remember, prior to this, we read that we had no God, no Christ, no hope, no citizenship. We had none of this. And then there's this dramatic change, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And now notice what he says. It's not just that those things are restored now, but here's what it says. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners. You, there is a total transition in life at this point. You're not a stranger. You're not a foreigner. But you are what? You are a fellow citizen. A fellow citizen. The Greek word comes from two words. It's politics and a member of a city-state. In other words, we now possess citizenship. You know, folks, it, it's important to be a citizen. It is. Every legal document that you have to fill out, it asks you, are you a U.S. citizen? Right? And you've got a box to check. That's important. 
When we adopted Cameron, obviously Cameron came to America. Uh, when we adopted him, he came on a green card to America, even though he was a little baby at the time. But that's how he came to America. And then we had to re-adopt him in America. So we had to pay for an adoption in Guatemala. And then we had to pay for an adoption in America. But we had to re-adopt him in America so that he would become a U.S. citizen. So now he no longer has to work his way through life on a green card. He no longer has to work his way through life saying, I'm a citizen of Guatemala. No, he is a U.S. citizen. He became a, a fellow citizen of ours in the United States. And it's the same way here. When we, when we accept the shed blood of Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross, we suddenly have a new citizenship. Our citizenship is changed. We're no longer a foreigner. We're no longer an alien. We are a citizen of the body of Christ. And uh, that's an exciting thing. We gain a new family. We are part of the family. Notice what he says. He, he doesn't just say you're a new citizen, but he says, Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God. We, we belong to the family. We're part of the family of God. And that's a beautiful, a beautiful thought there. So we have peace for the lost. We have reconciliation for the lost. And then number three, a new foundation. Notice what it says. It says, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Now, there's a lot in those three verses, but he says, listen, you, you are now built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ serving as the chief cornerstone. Well, what does all that mean? Well, we understand, you know, the apostles and the prophets, they were the ones, uh, you know, the apostles in the New Testament that, that, that revelation was committed to, and they wrote what the Holy Spirit uh, had spoken to them to write, and they wrote the Bible as we have it. And they were the ones that, in a sense, they served as God's foundational gift to the church, giving us the scriptures, giving us the doctrines that we practice today. Where, why do we practice things like that we practice? And why do we believe the things we do? That came through the apostles, through their writing in the New Testament. How do we know how to do church? We learn it from the New Testament. We learn it from their testimony. And so we have all that, but it says, but Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone in, in, in the Greek literally means the tip of the angle. It was the capstone or the binding stone. And in the East, it was considered more important than the rest of the foundation. The chief cornerstone was considered the most important part of a structure. So get the picture here. We have the apostles have brought us the doctrines that we need to learn and believe and trust, and they serve as a foundation, and Jesus Christ is the most important part of the foundation. That's a great picture, and that's what he's talking about here. He, sa he says, listen, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, it doesn't matter, Jew or Gentile. You become part of the family of God and part of, a, of the church of God, which is a structure that is built together. Notice what he says. He says, in whom all the bu building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. We become part, folks, of a structure, and the structure is the church of God. 
Now, we have Crossroads Baptist Church, but we are not the only people that are saved in this world. We understand that. There is a, there is a larger church, and that's the church of God. And, and we understand that the importance of, of that passage, and, and we are part of that church. And notice what it says, that we're framed together and we grow. I think it's important that word is not there. That word is not there by accident. What are we supposed to be doing in our Christian life, folks? We are supposed to be growing. We are supposed to be, we should not stay at the same point we were when we got saved. Listen, when a baby is born, they don't just keep drinking the same milk they're drinking for the rest of their life. No, they want more. As they grow, they desire to take in more and more. They don't just want milk. They want solid food. In Emmett's case, he wants candy because he, he's got a sweet tooth. I guess that came from his grandfather. I'm sorry. But, you know, he doesn't just want milk. I keep a couple candy bars up on my dresser in my bedroom, and he knows they're there now. So anytime he wants chocolate, he goes to the dresser, and he looks up, and he's, he rubs his tummy for please. That's how he symbolizes please, and he rubs his tummy for what He doesn't just want milk or the juice I'm giving him. He's growing, so he wants more. He wants solid food. And this is how it's supposed to be spiritually in our life, folks. We are not supposed to stay in one place. We are supposed to be growing in the Lord. Our walk with God should grow as we go through the days and weeks and months and years. We should be closer to God today than we were when we first got saved because we are all part of this church and we're supposed to be growing in our individual lives and growing together. That's what it says, framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, uh, in the Lord in whom you also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Do you notice how many times in this passage it talks about in the Lord, in the Lord, in, or in Jesus, or in Christ, or through Jesus, or through God? Over and over and over again, Paul is emphasizing the fact that there is one factor that affects everything he's talking about, and that's Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ. And then he says, in whom you also are built together for an habitation of God the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our life. Isn't that a wonderful thought, a blessed thing for us? We have the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and lives and to, to lead us and to guide us and to direct us. Romans, we can go back there just for a second. Romans 8, Romans 8 and starting verse 9, it says this. It says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, you that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. That's a beautiful thought, folks, that we have through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwelling us in our life. And that takes us to chapter number three. And we'll get into it just a little bit today. Chapter number three, the mystery of God. Point number four, the mystery of God. Notice what it says in verse one. It says, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. So, so we see a couple things here. Paul acknowledges right away that he's a prisoner right now. And he acknowledges that he's a prisoner of Rome. No, it's not what he says. He's a prisoner of the Jews because they were the ones that landed him there. It's not what he says. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. 
Paul understood that everything in his life centered around, focused on the work of Jesus Christ. And he considered his imprisonment part of that work, part of what he was supposed to be doing to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And notice what he says, that he's the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Paul, Paul had a mandate, folks, and the mandate was to get the gospel to the Gentile world. And boy, we know if we study Paul's life, that's exactly what he did. He took that mandate very seriously. Every one of us would, do, would just be incredible if we lived a life like the Apostle Paul. If we stayed so true to God like the Apostle Paul. If we accomplished what God has called us to do like the Apostle Paul. Paul had a mandate. He said, listen, I'm in prison right now for the cause of Jesus Christ, because of Jesus Christ, and it's for you Gentiles. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. And notice what he says. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. He's, he's talking about a dispensation of the church of God. The, he's talking about the stewardship or administration. A dispensation can mean a period of time. And we do know we live in the period of grace. We're in that dispensation right now, period of grace. But the word can also mean the administration or stewardship. And notice it fits better in this verse that way. If you heard of the dispensation, the administration or stewardship of the grace of God, which is given to me, to you. Paul's saying, listen, I, 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 am, I am preaching to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was given to me so that I could pass it on to you. Now, folks, isn't that where we are today? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing today? We're, we're ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not in the fact that we're all pastors, but, but we, we are ministers of the gospel. We that have been saved, that have trusted God as our Savior, we are supposed to be passing that to other people, teaching them about the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they might be saved and that they may be a minister of the gospel as well. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. And then he says in verse 3, How that by revelation he made note unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words. Ah, now we're getting to the interesting part of this, the mystery. You know, anytime I hear the word mystery, I'm, I'm kind of like, okay, what's the mystery? What's, you know, what's, go, what's going on? What's he talking about here? You know, what, it, what is the mystery? And, and, and we're going we're gonna to get that here as, as Paul gives to us. But he, he says it, it, that he, that how that by the revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote in a few words, whereby when you read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So Paul says, I, I have this mystery to tell you about. Now, we, we, we look at the word mystery a little different in our language. In our language, the word mystery is, is something obscure, a secret, or something very puzzling. It's, it's a mystery to me. I can't, figure, I can't figure it out kind of thing. That's how we, that's how we view mystery. And, uh, but in the Greek, it's a little bit different. In the Greek, it's a truth that to this point had not been revealed, but now is revealed. So when you take that definition of it, Paul is saying, listen, I, I have a truth that to this point has really not been revealed that I'm about to reveal to you, to the Gentiles. And that's, that's the truth by which he's, and what's he talking about? He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
He's talking about the fact that Jew and Gentile both can come to a saving knowledge of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And that's what he's talking about here. And he says, In other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So now he, he, he lays it out for us. He says, he says listen, I, I have a mystery, something that was not revealed before now. I'm, I, I, I'm going to reveal it now. And what am I revealing? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. That's what he's talking about here. And actually in that verse, the, where in the Greek, it, it's, uh, it, it talks about that it, they're joint heirs, joint body, joint partakers. That's how it's laid out in the Greek. And so each one of those words has the word joint before it. So in other words, Paul say, listen, here is the mystery. Here is the secret. It's not been revealed. I'm revealing it now. And this is, this is what I'm revealing, that the Gentiles can be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promised, again, where? In Christ, by the gospel. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, listen, he's saying, Everyone's lost apart from Jesus Christ. But the gospel is not just for the Jew. He's saying it's for the Gentile as well. And he's saying we all can be partakers of the gospel through Jesus Christ. And folks, we need to be very thankful of that fact today. We need to be very thankful of that fact. That God, in his redemptive plan wasn't just working on behalf of the Jews, but he was working on behalf of all mankind. And so you and I today can be a fellow heir. We can be part of the body of Christ. That's what he's, that's what he's talking about here. And it ends again with Jesus Christ, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. You know, as I thought about that today, this, 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 I was here this morning in my office and I was thinking through this passage and finishing up a few notes and, and, and I thought about this song came to my mind. I just want to read the words today. It says, man of sorrows, what a name for the son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place. Condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Lifted up was he to die, it is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a Savior. When he comes, our glorious King, all his ransomed home to bring, then anew his song will sing. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Folks, we are blessed by the fact that Jesus Christ stepped out of eternity, stepped onto this earth, went to the cross, shed his blood willingly on the cross for your sins and mine, gave up his life on the cross, was buried, rose again the third day, 
and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he did it for us. He did it for us. So that we, as part of the Gentiles, could be fellow heirs through Jesus Christ. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. We come to the end of the message. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture, the end of chapter 2 into chapter 3 here. Ephesians has so, so much in it that is just so, so crucial when we think about how we come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. The gospel clearly laid out. The fact that over and over and over again it is mentioned that all this takes place in and through Jesus Christ. There can be no mistake. I don't, I don't know how anybody could teach any other doctrine when it comes to salvation without throwing away chapter 2 and chapter 3 of this book. Because over and over and over again, it's in Jesus, through Jesus, in Jesus, through Jesus. That's how we come to a saving knowledge of him. And that saving knowledge is available to both Jew and Gentile. What a wonderful passage of Scripture. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I don't know how the Lord spoke to your heart today. We'll just have Elizabeth play a verse of a song on the piano. And uh, maybe you just need to do business with God. We give you just a moment today to pray to him.